Jesus prayed in John 17, 10, and 11 these words, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. How is this possible? It seems I fall short more than I hit the mark, seemingly missing part or most of the fruit of the Spirit spoken of in Galatians. Yet I read that if I am in Christ, He is in me, and I am His, which also means I'm the Father's, of whom I belong to first. He gave me the power to become His Son and preserved me as a gift to His Son. How is this possible? How is Jesus glorified by me? I want to know. It is my great honor once again to welcome each and every one of you to the Doctrine of Christ, Season 8, Episode 8. And we're going to be entitling this episode, Jesus Glorified in His People. And we're so thankful for each and every one of you, as always, that's joining us for our study. And there's a reason for that, because whether you know it or not, the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. And we know that many of you and most of you that are studying with us on the DOC, you have discovered that and you're in full agreement. So it's great, Jimmy. It's great. It really is. How's your week? Well, it's been good. It's been a good week. I've got a lot done. Got a lot of projects that I've been working on and uh, got a lot done, a good productive week. So I'm very, very thankful. Good. Let's get to work. John chapter 17, and we're going to read verse 10. All and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And Everyone that belongs to the Father belongs to Jesus, and everyone that belongs to Jesus belongs to the Father. And there's a lot that um, the Word of God has to say about the spirit of adoption and how that we're adopted into the family of God. And a lot of times the Father doesn't get the recognition that he really deserves. And George Newton said this. And George Newton, the Puritan, he is one of our three counselors we've been looking at a lot as we go through John 17. George Newton, the Puritan, Anthony Burgess, the Puritan, and Thomas Manton, the Puritan. A little heavy on the Puritan side there, and I'm glad about that. But Brother Newton said this, he doth not say, I am glorified by them, but I am glorified in them. Jesus Christ is glorified in all that belong to him. And we all have to stop. And, you know, I think we could say that when we glorify Jesus, Jesus is glorified in us. But we are to be a people that glorifies Jesus Christ. And, of course, we all have to ask ourselves that question. Is that the case with me? Um Brother Newton goes on to say, 
He is the great prophet, the great teacher of the church. And so many people have not even come to the place to honor him as the great teacher, to really sit at his feet and value his words as those that fell from the lips of God in the flesh. And he goes on to say, in the present life, he is glorified in the grace of all those that belong to him. Their grace is his glory. When they abound in faith and love and hope and patience and obedience, this is an honor to the Lord Christ that he hath such people so qualified and so employed. And this is something that uh, we're coming into a period of time that Christians are really hated. There's a lot of real hatred against Christians that's really manifesting itself, and it's manifesting itself to the point of violence. There's just a, um, it's an undeniable trend, and this is escalating, and it's good for us to stop and meditate how in times like this that we can be such a people that the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in us. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 7, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, one thing this text tells us is that the judgment of the wicked and the blessing of the righteous happens at the same time. It doesn't happen seven years apart, as is popularly taught in the pre-trib delusion. But he says in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. And note how that phrases that. It's not talking about us glorifying him, but when Jesus returns, he will be glorified in his saints. So this is really a a something not to just let go away, but just like Brother Newton said, every child of God is one that glorifies Jesus Christ. And how important is it for us to realize that the Lord is coming back and that when he comes back, he's coming back for people that are glorifying him, that he is glorified in. That is That is just something we don't want to miss right there. Now, let's think about some scriptures of how we glorify Jesus Christ. Certainly a very, very important topic. And in Romans, the fourth chapter and the 20th verse, speaking about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and We're in that time where uh, people that really believe in the Bible and believe that the Bible teaches us laws and standards that we're to live by, that just isn't popular anymore, even among people that are professing Jesus Christ. But yet Abraham was strong in faith, and Abraham was living at a time there wasn't a whole lot of other believers around. You know, his family— Uh, He come from a family of idolaters, but Abraham believed the word of God and he stood strong. 
And that's what we do. We just stand strong in faith. We're going to believe Jesus. We're going to believe the word of God. We hope everyone believes like we do, but we know most won't. So we're going to stand strong and we're going to let Jesus be glorified in us, that we can be that light and that example to a dying world. And, you know, we got in a little discussion a while back. I don't know what episode it was on about how we react to people that are in the the gay and the lesbian and the transgender communities. And, you know, there is a right and a wrong reaction. We have to be strong. You know, the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love, and we cannot in any way um, compromise that the Bible says these things are wrong, that these lifestyles are going to result in eternal damnation. But if we can really be a people that Jesus is glorified in, we'll be able to show them kindness and we'll be able to find a way to speak the gospel to them. And uh, I think this is just very important in this time. And it's it's getting more and more difficult. It really is. But this is nothing too big for the Lord. And um, this is this is what the Israel of God is going to do. In John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And I think of Abraham there that was strong in faith and glorified God, that it didn't matter what was going on in the world. He glorified God. He stood his ground and he prayed. And this is the thing with us. If the words of Christ abide in us, we have a anchor of prayer that we can see the gospel go forth. And we've seen the doctrine of Christ go forth and grow and be blessed in so many people. And it, it doesn't matter, you know, and it even is is a good thing in a strange way. The darker the world gets, the brighter the light of Jesus is going to shine. And, and it goes on to say in the next verse, herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And so shall ye be my disciples. And this is the glorifying of Jesus that we bear fruit. Now, that fruit, we've talked about that before also. That's, and, uh, we did an episode in season one or two called Got Fruit. <laughs> got Fruit. Yeah, Got Fruit. And that's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's talking about the fruit that we bring forth in building the kingdom of God. You know, we've talked about that so much also that if we do have faith, we will have works and not just a matter of um, passing out water bottles to the homeless or whatever, which isn't a totally bad thing, but uh, we're talking about building the kingdom of God. And if you don't have the fruit of the spirit in your life, you're not going to be able to build the kingdom of God to see fruit, that your fruit would remain as uh, that the as the scripture tells us. So it is so important that we realize that we glorify Jesus by bearing fruit, by bearing fruit, first and foremost, the fruit of the spirit. And I think, well, and I know that so many people, they take the fruit of the spirit lightly. And they think that they can ignore the fruit of the Spirit and just have all kinds of rotten attitudes and all kinds of 
wrong emotions and wrong ideas, and that somehow this doesn't matter. But And let's just read the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to turn and just read it, because these are the things that if they're not present in us, we're not going to have any fruit, and Jesus will never be glorified in us until we have the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is the fruit and the, the quality from which all of the others manifest. And Jesus defined that in the great commandment that we are to love our neighbor as ourself and to love the Lord with, with all, Jimmy, with all, with yeah. all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we did a whole DOC on that. And from this, there flows all of these other fruits. And it talks about the fruits, the, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. And it, it says plainly that uh, if the works of the flesh uh, in Galatians 5.21, and it lists them, and it says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean, thankfully, if you ever lose your temper, you're out for good. But we're talking about characteristics of people that are constantly letting these fruits of the Spirit manifest in their life. And the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh cannot coexist. And this is something that's very important, and I think it's something that people take way, way too lightly. I hear a lot of people say, <laughs> and I, of course, I won't give the names, but uh, there was a, a little tiff between a couple people, and uh, this one person just absolutely blew up at this other individual for pretty much no reason. And afterwards, this individual just said, well, they should have known that that's how I was. You know, it's like the old story of the person that befriends the snake and the snake bites him and the snake says, well, you should have known I was a snake. You know, and we we it's not OK. It's not OK to say, well, this is the way I am. You know, well, yeah, it is the way you are. But Jesus died that we can be more than what we were born with, that that old flesh can be crucified. So we're we supposed to be that, new that, creations when, when we're saved, yeah. when we're born again. Yeah. And. This is so the, – the fruit of the Spirit is fundamental to having Jesus glorified in us. And in the 60th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, it says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee. And his glory shall be seen upon thee. And that is the thing, that God's glory will be manifested on us if we will just be those people. And, and it's all just about obedience. If we'll walk in obedience and just crucify the flesh, let the fruit of the Spirit come through, we just need to get out of the way and let him drive the car. And it'll all work out. It'll all work out. And the thought we read in the, the text in Second Thessalonians that when Jesus returns, he is going to return to be glorified in his saints. Now, what happens when there are people that say they know Jesus, 
but Jesus is obviously not being glorified in them. And that might not turn out too well for people. And we, we really need to say, you know, this is important. This is important. And it's so easy. And everything in modern American religion, and I think pretty much throughout all the earth now, it tends to letting people think that lukewarm's okay, a sloppy life's okay, well, nobody's perfect, uh, and all of these things that tend to give people a false assurance in living a sloppy life. And it's just a matter of allowing, and we can't live it in the flesh. It's a matter of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring these things forth for us. And we, we have to say that. Well, it just reminds me of what you said last week about praying. Well, I'm praying for this, and I won't, I won't be able to stop doing this until the Lord just tells me to stop or something yeah. to that effect. <laughs> yeah. And this is, the, this is the product of what people listen to and they're bombarded with out of the so-called you know, big-name preachers that have the really big platforms. And um, we're the voice crying in the wilderness, and that's good. I, I like that. But uh, Matthew 24, 13, and Jesus said this, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. It's not about people that um, don't endure and that means to endure in faithfulness, to endure with real faith in Christ and obedience. And um, if you don't endure unto the end, uh, those are the ones that are going to be saved. And this is just such a um, a tremendous thought that we should never forget that Jesus is returning to be glorified in his saints and that every child of God is going to glorify Jesus. I want to look at that word a little bit, endure, that Jesus used in Matthew 24 and 12. And that is 5278. It's the word hopamune. And I'm going to read out of Danker's lexicon. And just a little bit, it just touches my heart what that means. And that Greek word means in the lexicon to maintain a belief or course of action in the face of opposition. And isn't that what we're doing now as believers? We are maintaining a belief or course of action in the face of opposition. What we're saying is in opposition to what the church world is saying, let alone to what the people that are unregenerate running this world is. It's going to take endurance. He that shall endure unto the end to maintain a belief or course of action in the face of opposition, stand one's ground, hold out, endure to stand your ground. And everything in the world, it will say cut and run, uh, compromise, but no, he that shall endure unto the end. And we endure in the faith of faith of Christ. And it says, endure the fiery trial. Hence of Christ, simply it equals submit to suffer. Submit to suffer. And there's going to be some things that will not be pleasant. There'll be uh, unpleasant things, but we make our mind up to endure to the end. We submit to suffer, and it says the affliction under which one remains steadfast. And the word, and this is often in Thai, it says uh, it's expressed in tribulation 
and there's a lot of texts that talks about enduring tribulation. And that word tribulation, thalipsis, it means pressure from an outside source. And more and more, we can feel the pressure of the world coming in on us in so many ways. But yet we endure the end. We stand this quality. Uh, and this is in the fruits of the spirit. It's called patience. We have that patience. We have the ability to endure under trial. We don't cut and run. And only the people that are planted survive. And until you really get to the place where you feel you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, you're not planted. You're not planted. I feel good because I really believe the Lord wants us to do the DLC. I really believe that. And it's something that when you know that you're doing something the Lord wants you to do, there's nothing better than that. And everybody, whatever their gift or whatever their place, they should feel that they're in the place doing what the Lord wants them to do. And there's a biblical word for that. It's called planted. Only the planted will grow. And until you're planted, you're, there's a lot of biblical terms. They're blown about by every wind of doctrine. What they will believe will change with the latest YouTube vi video they watch. And every new phrase or whatever, it just upsets them. And they just all of that. But the book of Psalms says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of his, the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he'll, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know, you could be a tree by the river. If you ain't planted, you ain't going to grow. Only the planted grow. We need to get planted. There is a absolute place and an absolute job for each and every child of God. And if you are uncertain of any of that, you need to make that priority number one. You need to get planted. You need to get planted. You need to find the people that you need to be hooked up with. And the Lord will bring you into uh, association with those people. But, yeah, we got to get planted because only the planted will grow. Now, in Revelation chapter 12 and 11. It says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And we have to realize that the lowest acceptable level of faith is a faith that is willing to die rather than compromise. That is the lowest acceptable level of faith. That sounds very strange to the ears of modern churchgoers, but he that endureth unto the end, they love not their lives unto the death. We're talking about a people that Jesus will be glorified in. And what glory is it if there's a people that say they believe in Jesus, but they won't suffer for him? They won't stand in persecution for what he and his father says? You know, well, just like it says in this text, everyone belongs to the Father, belongs to the Son, and everyone that belongs to the Son. All yours are mine, and all mine are yours, you know. And um, until we come to that place where we're planted and we're committed, you know, that, you know, uh, I remember that old song, the old hymn, I shall not be moved, just like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I shall not be moved. Got to get planted. You got to get planted. You got to. You got to get, and that's what the doctrine of Christ will get for you. Uh, 
people don't know nothing that, oh, this is that, it's that. You get clarity. You get clarity and definitive truth when you come to the doctrine of Christ. And moral absolutes is on the outs now. But that's what Jesus will do for you. He'll take you from I think so to you know so and give you that deep assurance of faith and truth because truth is a person. Until we got that person and we realize that his words need to abide in us, we're, we're just going to be blown about by the, the next YouTube video. Now, Jesus said in Luke 18, 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And this question is one that is answered in many other texts. Um, Paul in Second Thessalonians, he talked about the apostasy that would come, the great falling away before the Lord's return, and most certainly we're in it. And in this text here, it's implied that when Jesus returns, uh, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Yeah, he'll find some. And there will be a people there that he will be glorified in. And it's just like Gideon's army. It was too big to bring the uh, victory. And in the first, it, they came out and uh, the Lord told Gideon to just say, whoever's afraid, just go home. Two-thirds of them left. <laughs> Two-thirds of them left. And then he had him say, you know, go to have him go down the stream and the ones that uh, the ones that just get down and let down the guard, let them go. But if you just stand and, you know, if you if you lap the water and you, you keep a lookout, you know, those are the guys we want. The Lord doesn't need everybody. And not everybody's going to get it. I wish everyone would get it. But there's going to be many more people go the way of this modern religious establishment that'll listen to the DOC or FOJC radio. But truth is a person, and the Lord is coming back for a people that are he can be glorified in. And those are going to be the ones that are going to endure. They're going to be obedient, and we're going to lift up Jesus no matter what and stand there. You know, it's not like, well, I'll stand till it gets tough, but no, I'm going to stand and and, you know, it's going to come to the place where there's going to be some hard things for believers. There's no doubt about that. We wouldn't sugarcoat it. But always, you'll never regret being obedient to Jesus. You never will. Now, Brother Manton said this of how we glorify Jesus by being zealous for his institutions. When you honor Christ by giving the wisdom and power of a lawgiver to him. Now, listen to that. Who in the world would have said that? We glorify, we honor Christ by giving him the power of a lawgiver. Now, think about that. We honor Christ as the lawgiver. Go ye therefore and teach all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And until we submit to the great commission of teaching the things Christ commanded, Jesus can't be glorified in us. Like Brother Newton said, we must submit to him as a teacher, and we must submit to him as a lawgiver. And these are just obvious things that are so fundamental, and yet they sound strange. You know, if you'd ask the average person in church, have you submitted to Jesus as a lawgiver? You know, I wonder how that would go over. You know, um, it, 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 well, well, I thought Jesus was my savior. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's this thing. There's a bunch of rules, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, there's this thing that is just so erroneous, but it's taught in so many places that you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and then down the line, you can accept him as Lord. Have you ever heard that one? And mm. Well, I've heard you say it but to us before. Yeah. And that is, you know, in the, in the altar calls, well, I know many of you, you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but you've never accepted him as Lord. You know, and Romans 10 and 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is no salvation in a faith that does not submit to the Lordship of Christ. I seem to remember my dad always saying, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He like, he always said that together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you cannot separate the two. You just cannot separate the two. Um, in Hebrews chapter 3 and reading verses 5 and 6, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? We are his house, and then there's that great big word, if. We are his house, if. We hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, because Jesus is returning for a people that he is being glorified in. And those people are going to be the ones that are faithful, the ones that are obedient, the ones that are going to endure when, when it isn't popular, when it hurts a little bit. Those are the ones Jesus is returning for. I want to read something from Anthony Burgess. And Brother Burgess said, The Son and the Father have the same property uh, in all the godly. Those that belong to the Father belong to the Son also. And this is something that um, in the modern church world, the Father gets left out a little bit. You know, I just have to say. But we want to think about that just a little bit, and we want to read a text here, and let's put the other scripture here. Let's go to John 17, and let's read verses 10 and 11. We're going to talk about verse 11 a little bit also. Uh, John 17, 10, all are mine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And boy, there comes that big subject of unity. Now, we Jesus prayed that the Father would keep his people through the name of Jesus. Now, let's think about that for just a little bit. And John chapter 16 and verse 23, it says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Jesus said, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, you can ask what ye will. And we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus 
you know, we've talked about in a previous DOC, he is not praying what Jesus is praying for us in John 17. He's not praying for the world, and he's interceding there for us to the Father. And it's so important for us to understand the role the Father plays in keeping the saints. Through the name of Jesus, we cannot leave out the Father in our understanding of the way that the Godhead functions and operates. Well, and he, he just said that we were his, we were the Father's first. Yeah. And the Father gave us to him. Yeah. That's For so, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's so cool. Yeah. It, you know, and we don't want to forget the Father. Yeah. You know, don't forget the Father because we're praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is interceding for us with the Father. and doesn't say, I'll pray the Father. We talked about that. He's not praying to the Father, you know, Father, answer their prayers. No, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And Jesus praying for us said, Father, keep them in my name. And through Jesus and our access to the Father, we come into that keeping power. We've got to have something that is more than just our flesh. And we're going to talk about that how that the Lord, uh, he'll go way beyond our natural abilities of what we think. Let's, I think I'm going to look at a text here uh, in Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's the Father that keeps us, keep them through my name. God gives us the will, both to will and to do, both to will and to do. When we're born again, the, the new man in Christ wants to do what's right. And he doesn't just give us holy desires. He will give us the ability not only to want to do it, but to be able to do it, to will and to do. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This comes from the Father. And, th and there are times, if it was not for the Father raising up holy desires with us, we would all have quit. It has to be the, the grace and the mercy and the wooing of the Father uh, by sending his Spirit, that if it wasn't for that, would all have give up. And we need to realize that we need to use our, we need to have a made up mind and all of that. And we have to always realize that there's something beyond our human capabilities that's needed. And if that isn't there, you know, Father, keep them in my name. It's the Father that keeps us. And another text comes to mind in First Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 5 who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The power of God keeps us through our faith. We must believe that we are, if we belong to Jesus, we belong to the Father. The Father will keep us in the name of Jesus, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. We have to believe in the Father, in his keeping ability, and that power. 
And if if we will just pray to the Father in Jesus' name and walk in humble obedience, that will be a reality. And I know we've all had those times where you can just feel like giving up. You're just so put out and down. And then all of a sudden, there's something stirs in your heart and the hope begins to rise. That's the Father keeping you through the power of God. He's not going, if you belong to Christ, Jesus doesn't give up easily on his people. He doesn't give up easily. He's the shepherd. And what happens if a little sheep goes over, he'll get that crook and, you know, he'll pull you back in. So we just need to be aware of that and realize that uh, the keeping power of the Father is such a marvelous thing. Now, Malachi chapter 3, I love this text. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 and 7, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Now we've got a lot of points of connection here with our text in John 17 and in the text in 2 Thessalonians where it talks about Jesus returning to be glorified in his saints. And it speaks here of the people that the Father calls his jewels. And he is going to come to gather up his jewels. And it it says, you know, they that fear the Lord, they spake often one to another. They wanted that fellowship. And they that fear the Lord, and that's it, isn't it? That they fear the Lord and they think upon his name. And these are the jewels. These are the jewels that he's going to gather. People that don't fear the Lord. And boy, we've talked about that, haven't we? Fearing the Lord. Yeah. And people that don't fear the Lord, the Lord will not be glorified in you. And he's coming back for his jewels. He's coming back to be glorified in his saints. And this is the prayer in John 17 as Jesus is repairing the Israel of God. For the, he's, he's going away. And he, he, and you know, in John 14, you know, let not your heart be troubled. I go away, but I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. And he wants us to be ready for that day, to be ready for that day for for his return. And we do that by fearing God and being his jewels. Um, George Newton had this to say on on page 200. And he talks a little bit about the name of God. And we just had a recent episode about the, the Jesus revealing the father's name. Uh, Father, I've revealed your name. Well, maybe it's Father, you know, and and of course this just um, this is you know in that old Wizard of the Oz Wizard of Oz movie, the Wicked Witch of the West, and they threw water on her and go, she starts to belt. And when you talk about the name of Jesus being revealed, uh, the Father's name being revealed to Jesus, all the sacred namers, that's just like throwing water on them. They go. You know, because they're so wrapped up in well, that lie and that deception. I've never seen that movie. Am I going to have to go watch it now so I kind of understand what you're talking about? Well, that goes back 1930. You've never seen The Wizard of Oz? No. I mean, that is, um, 
followed the yellow brick road. I can't believe that, Jimmy. Everybody. Well, you know, I've seen clips of it here and there because it's everywhere all the time. But yeah, I have never sat down and watched it. Well, and that could be a good thing. But it's one of those, uh, you know, it's like every Christmas time they're going to reshow Wizard of Oz and you got to watch that again. It's kind of like that and um, that Jimmy Stewart movie and all that. But you know, anyway, well, uh, when I was growing the, up, my dad didn't believe in that stuff. He pre- he was he said, my job is to protect you till you're out on your own. Well, and good for your dad. He at the time, I thought he was over the top, maybe a little too strict, but. There was no dances, no movies, nothing. And then when I got old enough where I could do whatever, I didn't really care. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I missed out on anything. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Now, Brother Newton says this about the name of God. He says the name of God is generally taken for anything that makes him known to men as one man is distinguished from another by his name. And we've talked about how the different names of God, Jehovah Jireh, uh, the Lord's our provider, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord's our healer, how that the ver- all the many names of God reveal his attributes. He says, particularly, it imports sometimes the attributes of God. Now one and then another of them, sometimes his attribute is mercy that is called the name of God in Exodus. And let's let's look at that in Exodus chapter 34. So, you know, when Jesus talks about being kept in the name of the Father, uh, this is certainly what he's revealed that in the word Father, there is the ultimate expression of all of the attributes of God. And I know a lot of us... Um, I, I did not have a, 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 a godly father or even a father that was decent as a father, and I know many people haven't, and it's this blurs the image, and that's really a part of Satan's game plan. Uh, a man to be a man anymore, this isn't popular. You know, men are really under attack, and um, they're a man that would act like a man is going to be really come under some pressure, and this is another place where we need to hold the line. But in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and 6, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And this is Old Testament. You know, so many people, they can't see the mercy and grace of God in the Old Testament, and they can't see the law in the New, and it's blurred. But that is the name. It's Father. He's merciful. He's gracious and long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. But yet, a good father will chastise his children. And with a good father, you know there's boundaries. You know that there are boundaries. Well, what? What did he say in either Psalms or Proverbs? If if we're not being chastised, then we're not really his children. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, chastises and, the ones he loves. And it even said you're bastards. <laughs> yeah. And that's a very that's biblical right. word. If you're not, uh, if God doesn't chastise you, you're not a real son. You're not a real son. Yeah. And you can notice, I. this is one way very telling about people. When you see people doing things that you know they shouldn't do, 
if there's no chastisement that follows in their life, it's pretty much a given that they're not the Lord's. Because the Lord will not tolerate the Holy Spirit. His first name is holy. And he will not allow people to do things that are not pleasing to him. Doesn't mean we can't do them, but it means that he is going to convict you of it. And he is going to bring chastisement upon you. And you can ignore that chastisement. You can just say, well, uh, why does stuff like that happen to me? But we have to always be looking for that chastisement of God that and, and rejoice in it. Because when God corrects us, boy, that's a good thing. And none of us are beyond correction. And this is something that we always have to be aware of in our life. Would you tell me your name's carved in the, on, on the yeah, wall? Yeah, yeah. If next time at the woodshed, just look there, <laughs> and you'll see my initials there. Yeah. And in John chapter 17 and verse 11, he said, and now I am no more in the world. And this changed a lot. You know, Jesus is now our intercessor. He's not praying for the world anymore, as we talked about in our last lesson. And he's not in the world anymore. And there are specific things that Jesus said in relationship to this that tell us something about his return. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in Acts chapter 1, in verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. That Jesus, that they they ate with him, they handle me and see a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. That same Jesus is going to return like he went away visibly. They saw him. They saw Jesus go away. He's coming back in the same way. This same Jesus will come just like he went away visibly and literally. And this whole idea of the secret rapture. You know, in the movie where I know this one movie, it showed someone getting raptured and they they got raptured out of the car and it showed their clothes folded. Their clothes were folded on the car seat. You know, I said, man, how about that? You know, in that in that frosting. Well, you know, you know, Jesus folded up his shroud. Right. And it was folded up real nice and neat. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's where they got it. I know. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to make something up. You can make up whatever you want. Revelation 1, 7, behold, he cometh with the clouds, with clouds, and every eye shall see him. No secret rapture there. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. This same Jesus that went away literally and visibly, he'll come away. They watched him ascend into heaven. He will return and every eye will see him. And that'd be kind of hard on a globe earth, wouldn't it, Jimmy? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Whom the heaven must receive. That word receive means to receive and to hold. Whom heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. When he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he will not return until he's ready to restore all things. Till all of his enemies have been made a footstool. That's exactly right. 
And let's read that text in Psalm 110.1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, it's time for people to fear the Lord and to fear his word and to stop holding doctrines that are obviously contrary to the word of God. You know, and the word says that so clearly that Jesus will be at the right hand of the Father until he comes to restore all things, until he comes to make his enemies his footstool. You know, these this is the word of God, and the word of God obviously doesn't line up with all of the popular stuff that we're hearing. It is just so obvious. And people are going to have to make their mind up if they are going to honor Jesus as a teacher and a lawgiver and fear God that Jesus will be glorified in them. People will either fear God or you're going to fear something else more than God. And when you go into some kind of man-made religious system that is espousing things that are contrary to Christ, you've got a decision to make. You're either going to side with Jesus or you're going to compromise. And when Jesus was telling his apostles in John 17 that he is no more in the world. He is ascending to the right hand of the Father to be our great high priest and intercessor, and he will be there until he leaves to crush all enemies under his feet. And the word of the Lord is just terribly clear there, just terribly clear. And let me ask you something. When he said that I'm no longer in the world, he well, he still was in the world. Was he just meaning that... Um, I'm not really going to be out interacting anymore. I'm going to be gone by tomorrow. Or well, and, and this was as we we began our our whole series on John 17. This was just right, right before. Uh, this was after even the Last Supper, and he was teaching the final teaching to his disciples, and then he was arrested. So there was no more ministry in the world for right. Christ, okay. and he would not be, uh, you know, he'd done, he'd bore witness, he taught, and, you know, the word of God is definitive, and you'll either believe it or not. You know, Jesus didn't say, interpret me, and you'll have eternal life. He said, believe on me, and you'll have eternal life. And people will either do like Abraham, and you'll believe, and you'll really believe, and you won't compromise what you believe to go along and get along. And this is the the deciding factor of whether or not Jesus is going to be glorified in you. They that feared the Lord spake to one another often, and these are the jewels that the Lord is going to return and gather up for those people that he can be glorified in. This this is so important. And it, it comes down to these things we talk about over and over, uh, submitting to Christ as teacher, to lawgiver, and just just obedience and faith um, is what it's all about. Now, let's read something from Anthony Burgess. Um, and this is so good. It says, he keeps in the actual stirrings of the soul to good. And we were talking about this when we read the text in um, Philippians and in first Peter and brother Burgess said this, the Lord does not only keep the habits and being of grace, but also all the quickenings and actual stirrings of the soul to good. 
You know, it's only because we have the new nature in Christ in us that we desire to do good, that we long after the things of God. And this is where the Father will stir us. You know, he will stir us and he'll stir up our heart to love the things of the Lord and to seek after them. He says, such sparks would quickly go out did not the Lord keep them alive. How true that is. If it wasn't for the Father stirring our soul and keeping it stirred to love and obey, that fire would quickly go out. We need to realize that, how uh, that it is the Father that works in us both to will and to do, that this salvation is of the Lord. And, you know, you can mess it up. You know, I like to say that all we have to do is cooperate. If we will just cooperate and let the Spirit of God and the stirrings just draw us unto him, we just got to cooperate and and stop the rebellion. It says, we might say of them as of one man's life, they are but a vapor and a bubble. Thus, when David and the people had with so much willingness and delight offered to God, he prays that God would keep this forever in their hearts. Now, let's read a text from the Old Testament in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 18. It says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of this people and prepare their heart unto thee. Wow. Praying for the Father to keep this alive in our thoughts and imaginations. You know, the Bible talks about a vain imagination, and it talks about bringing our thoughts in captivity to Christ. And here there's the prayer for the Father to keep this in our imaginations and the thoughts and to prepare our heart unto them. These are these holy stirrings that come from the Father that we should just be so thankful for and just yield ourselves unto the holy stirrings of God within our heart. And so thankful when we feel this, there's nothing more precious in our life because without this, uh, our human abilities and our human flesh, um, you know, would not make it. And there's so many people, there have been fights and arguments when you talk about free will and uh, predestination and election. But the fact is that we absolutely have a free will and we have to choose to do that which is right and pleasing to God and we'll be held accountable if we do not. And it's also true that without the sovereign move of God upon our soul, that there's no way that we could please God and serve him just by our self-will. We have to realize that God goes beyond all of our human failures, all of our human insufficiencies, and he stirs our heart with holy stirrings. He puts in our imagination and in our thoughts the things of God that we would desire those things and how precious that is and how well how much we should be aware of that. Um, I was reading uh, just last week, Richard Sibes, another one of the Puritans, they called him the holy dropper because he was able to just drop 
the word of God in people's lives. He was so loved by the people he ministered to. And they called him the holy dropper because he just had an ability to just drop the word like a balm of healing upon the people. And he said that, and he talked about these holy stirrings. And he says that this is the place of warfare and combat in the soul, where the holy stirrings of God meet with our human flesh and aspirations when the the thoughts of God that he wants to stir and our imagination, you know, our imagination should be used to think about um, how to serve the Lord better. And, um, you know, it took some imagination to end the DOC. There was a time where that was just a thought in the imagination that had to be brought forth. And this is the way people should be to allow the Lord to take control of our hearts and our imaginations and our thoughts and to be able to birth in those things, the things that will bring forth fruit for him, that he can be glorified in us. And we just have to cooperate. And this is where the voice of the Lord comes through in this in this battleground in our soul where the father's holy stirrings will come in to the conflict with the flesh. Paul said uh, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary one to another. No boy, are they? And this is where the rubber meets the road, where we really can hear the voice of God and we can yield unto him. Revelation chapter three and verse 10. And this is another verse that's sadly used as a text to show that people are not going to have to worry about enduring. But in Revelation 3 and 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Now, that's that same word there. We have that word of hupomone, the ability to bear up under trial, to stay your course against all opposition, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also would keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And this is something that Jesus addresses very soon, and we'll we'll talk about that in a lot more detail. And to be kept from the hour, and in John chapter 17, verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Full stop. Full stop. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. This thing, Jesus, that went away is going to come away the same back. Every else seem, you know, people need to stop contradicting Jesus, you know, and somebody that's, and, you know, they're just rapture crazy. They can find the rapture in a meatball on a plate of spaghetti. And if you're praying to be taken out of the world, you are praying against Jesus Christ, who is your great high priest and intercessor. I pray not that they should be taken out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And that is the very same in the Greek in Revelation 3.10 and John 7.15. He will keep us from that hour, not by taking us out of the world, but like Daniel. Daniel wasn't kept out of the lion's den, but in the lion's den, the Lord shut the mouth of the lion's. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about being kept through this time and staying our course and being a people that the Lord can be glorified in right up into the very end.
Brother Burgess again, something else from him on page 499. And this is so good. And here again, we're back to the name. And you can see how destructive it is by all, you know, when people believe that by saying God's name in a certain pronunciation that they have some kind of a spiritual um, up one-upsmanship with the Lord. That's such a phony spirituality. And Brother Burgess said, the name is here taken for the truth and doctrine manifested by Christ. And of course, that's what the, the devil would rather have you do, worry about how to pronounce some Hebrew name than the truth and doctrine manifested by Christ. He said, where it is so used, it says the name is here taken for the truth and doctrine manifested by Christ appears from verse six, where it is so used where the name of God is expounded by the word and the utterances. Those, therefore, that understand it of the true and pure doctrine Christ has delivered retain the proper sense of the preposition in. It means the true and the proper doctrine. That's why the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. To be kept in the name of the Father through the name of Jesus means of submission to Christ as the lawgiver and as the teacher, and to, to just realize that the doctrine of Christ is the pure, holy, sweet truth of God, unadulterated, no mixture of truth and error. If we want the truth, we'll come to Jesus. And what a powerful, powerful way to understand it. Keep them in thy name, going on with Brother Burgess, in the true doctrine, so that they say Christ prays first for the purity of their faith. Number one is the purity of the faith. And there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and how serious people should take that. You know, and if there um, is the, the only way, I'll put it like this, the only hope for unity there is, is the doctrine of Christ. And unity isn't like, well, uh, you're, you believe once saved, always saved. I don't. Well, we're going to go along to get along and have unity. That's not unity. Unity isn't compromising uh, like so many do with all of the horrendous heirs of Catholicism and say, well, I know you've got all this idolatry, but we'll have unity. That's not unity. Unity is around the doctrine of Christ. Now, if someone is a dispensationalist, there's no way I can ever have unity with them because they do not honor the doctrine of Christ. It's impossible. The only hope. Now, if people will say that I believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that every word he said was the words of the Father, and we all agree we can believe in that, that is a step to unity. If everyone just admits that Jesus is the final authority, that's the basis of unity. There is no hope for unity other than that. And there's no hope for a people that the Father can be glorified in. And this comes back that, you know, this is it. It's the just like he said 
And I say over and over, I mean, these guys blow me away. Uh, you know, I say over and over that I found the doctrine of Christ before I found the Puritans, but the Puritans found the doctrine of Christ before I did. And they were vilified and persecuted for it, but yet they held the ground. And I, and of course, they were not perfect at all. They're just uh, men and women like we are, but boy, there were certainly some bright lights there that um, can certainly be an encouragement to us. And in the final phrase of that verse, I'll read 1711 again. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name. Those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And Holy Father, Holy Father, keep them through thine own name. Holy Father, you know, Holy Father, there's the name. And in the name of Jesus uh, we pray to the Father. So there it is, Holy Father. And the um, the text, and I want to read something here. Uh, Roman, well, let's read Romans 12, 18. Let's just look at some scriptures. The scripture says it better than anything. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. And we need to try. That is so true. We need to try. And here it says, uh, if it be possible. And there are some people that it's going to be impossible to live at peace with. And therefore, we're, we just have to separate from them. But if it be possible, as much as life in you, if there can't be peace, don't, it, don't let it be because of you. Let it be because of that other person. And this is so important because that unity, uh, I teach, I taught a lesson last Friday night on FOJC, the holy oil of Yah, about the, um, the need for real Holy Ghost unity and the importance of it. And that'll come out more and more as we go through um, John 17. And in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We must do everything we can to live at peace with people, and we must follow peace with everybody. And if that peace can't be there, Lord, don't let it be on our part. Let it be on the part of the other person. And we know what Jesus said. We did an entire DOC on this, on being a peacemaker in Matthew chapter 5. And verse 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So important to work and to strive uh, for that unity. And I think um, we're going to close out here. There are five things. Uh, and Anthony Burgess, he did uh, some bullet points on just that thing. What? do we do for Jesus to be glorified in us? And there's some bullet points here that um, he put down that I think we'll look at. They're very good. And the first one, he said, to receive him as Lord and King. <laughs> he didn't say, Savior, Lord, Lord and King. And when we come to Christ for salvation, he is our Lord and he is our King. And that's the way we have to look at it. And if you aren't coming to Christ, submitting to him in obedience, 
you know, need to go back and start all over because you're not saved. You don't accept Jesus as Savior and then five years later accept him as Lord. You're not on the playing field. That's not the real gospel. Romans 10 and 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The second thing Brother Burgess said, there must be an outward confession of him. And right in the next verse in Romans, it says, um, well, let me read that before I go to Matthew. And well, and it says right in Romans 10 and 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that was done at baptism. And this is something that was carried on throughout the life. They made a big deal out of it. And when we baptize, we do it after the pattern of the Antonicene church. And we'll ask them, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And then we will ask them, do you renounce Satan and all of his ways? And there has to be that confession, that confession that is made in the heart when we receive Christ as Lord. And that confession made it baptism and that confession that carries throughout the life. And there must be an outward confession of him. This is something Brother Burgess said is essential. And this is the doctrine of Christ in Matthew chapter 10. And we'll look at the 32nd and the 33rd verse. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Very, very clear statement. And, you know, if, you know, and it might help to witness, get a little witness wear, wouldn't it, Jimmy? Just get your little witness wear and get it going on. You know? I've had about three more ideas tonight as you're talking. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we've got, you know, we are, and, you know, Jesus isn't praying for the world. He is praying for us because a people that he is glorified in, that is the way that the world receives the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. It's the job of the Israel of God to deliver the gospel. And we have to have that clearly fixed in our mind. And the third thing here, Brother Burgess says, suffering persecution for his sake. We have to be willing to suffer persecution. Just like that understanding of that Greek word, hupomone, we have to stand our ground against all opposition in faith and submission to Christ. First Peter chapter four and verse four, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. And in the 14th verse, it says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Look at that. Jesus is glorified in us when we are reproached for the name of Christ. Oh, boy. Call me old-fashioned. Call me whatever you want to call me. But I want to lovingly stand and boldly stand. We have to boldly 
we have to boldly preach against sin. We have to boldly proclaim the judgment of God. And with all of those we interact with, we, we, we have to do everything we can to give them the truth and love, to show them the kindness of Christ, that the, the goodness of God leads them to repentance, that we have a loving Heavenly Father that gave his son to die for us. He wants the best for people. My goodness, the things that people are doing are horrific. They're, they're destroying people. My goodness, young boys and girls are running their entire life for the horrible things that are being done to them. And like I say, you, when you read these things and think about them, you have to think about the children. Um, I saw uh, a, a testimony of one lady that got free from her captors, and she had like been a sex slave for it was like seven or nine years, and she finally got away. This is so common. Uh, these little children that come across uh, the border, a lot of them wind up in cages in Thailand and in slavery in Saudi Arabia. And in, uh, so, you know, my goodness, uh, it, you know, if your heart doesn't break, you know, what can we say? Uh, the fourth thing brother Burgess said by walking cheerfully in the midst of all troubles, walking cheerfully in the midst of all troubles. We just don't, you know, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength and the devil will try to take our joy. And oh boy, do we need to be aware of that. And there's a, a text that speaks to that so greatly. Well, Nehemiah 8 and 10, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in James chapter 5, verse 11, behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and obtain for mercy. And in verse eight, it says, but ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We are looking forth with patience to the coming of the Lord. Verse seven, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And we, this is so true. If you got a Bible under, if you're a Bible underliner, underline that one, James 5, 7. Be patient, and there's our word again. Be patient, endure under trials, endure unto the end. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord, because the Lord is coming for a people that he can be glorified in. And the return of the Lord is the ultimate uh, consummation of this prayer of the Lord of being glorifying these people. And this will be when the Lord gathers up his jewels of all those that he is glorified in. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction. And also, like we read in the lexicon, a lot of times that word endure is tied with tribulation and affliction. In the King James Bible, uh, Philipsis is translated both affliction and tribulation. And this is it. We endure under the strain. The life we live and the faith we have in Christ will put us at odds with the world. There'll be friction there will be persecution. But if we can joyfully endure that and still hold out to them, 
the love of our heavenly father and the plan of salvation. That's how Jesus can be glorified in us. And I love this text, uh, but called remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you know, after the lights come on, you know, we need to let the lights come on. After we're illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. You see, the lights need to come on that there's going to be a need to endure that to be a people that Christ can be glorified in, that we need to be illuminated, that there's going to be a great fight of affliction. And by just standing with faith in Christ, holding out the gospel to a lost and dying world, will be those jewels that the Lord will return for just walking in humble obedience and faith. And the fifth thing here that Brother Burgess says, he says, by a holy life. And we read the text in Hebrews that uh, we are to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, and we talked about this in our DOC about the attributes of God, the attribute of holiness. And we took this back to where Peter was quoting the Torah. And we could just have so much about that. Holiness is, you know, it's the first name of the Holy Ghost. You know, he is the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and our God is holy. Our God is holy. And First Peter 1, First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, we have that command of the Lord. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And if we will do that, we will truly be a people that the Lord can be glorified in. Father God, thank you for this this teaching tonight. And we just pray that you would open up the hearts and minds of all the people who hear this. And thank you for being our Father and for keeping us and for giving us unto the Son so that we can be your children forever, Father. And we thank you and we praise you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. With all of my heart.